0: I mean, I've always been interested in nature. Kind
1: of Mother Nature's perfect animal, you know? Seeing gnarled crocodiles and being kind of terrified.
0: Welcome to the Nature Talks podcast. Well, welcome to season two of the Nature Talks podcast. It has been a long time since we didn't have podcasts due to some exams that I had, but we are back once again. And this is the first episode of season 2 and we are talking about the largest land mammals or land animals on earth. Elephants. Of course, elephants are among the most unique creatures on earth. Not only do they mourn their death, but they do much more extraordinary things as well. But unfortunately, like many other animals, they too are on the verge of extinction. But what can we do to save them? We are here with Daniels from here, and we'll be talking all about elephants. Daniel, can you please introduce yourself?
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited to get into this topic with you. Um, My name is Danielle Carnahan. I have been working in elephant conservation for a few years now. I recently, well not that recently anymore now the pandemic happened, in 2019 I finished my master's degree um, which was in conservation medicine. So during that degree I was researching Asian elephants and the psychological impacts that tourism has on Asian elephants and after that I started traveling in Asia doing research and now the majority of the work that I'm doing is in Nepal looking at The welfare of bull elephants and how we can improve safety for mahouts that are working with captive bull elephants. So, yeah, really excited to get into this topic with you. It's it's such an intricate one, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) I mean, I mean that's wonderful. I've not seen an elephant myself because uh, in the UAE it's not not found quite much. I've seen one in the zoo, of course. Yeah. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I couldn't have hands on them. So. Um, I've asked this from many people, of course, who have come in the episode. Why do you like what you, what you do? That's the main important thing.
1: Well, I mean, the obvious answer is that I get to be around elephants all the time. And who wouldn't like that? But, you know, on a deeper level, being able to contribute to something greater and improve the welfare of Asian elephants that are working in tourism, is such a great cause. There are so many people around the world doing amazing work with elephants and I'm so grateful to be among some of those people and be contributing to improving their lives and hopefully changing the tourism industry.
0: And it's it's how many years you've been working in the field with elephants?
1: The first time I traveled to Asia to do some elephant conservation work was in 2017 and I have been traveling back and forth primarily over the past two or three years. Um, My work began in Thailand, researching complex post-traumatic stress in captive Thai elephants. And since then I have shifted over to Nepal and have been more focused on bull elephants in captivity because they just have it so much harder than the female elephants do. They're just so much more difficult to manage um partially because they go into must which is when their testosterone levels are heightened uh, making them a lot more dangerous and so there's just not a lot of data or research out there right now about bull elephant management in successful settings especially in um, settings where you're in unprotected contact you know in somewhere like a zoo setting it's much easier to manage these elephants because you're not standing right next to them, you know. You have a barrier between you. But in places like Nepal, Thailand, India, you're standing right next to these bull elephants, and the the death rate among the people working closely with them is way too high because you know it's easy for an <laughs> for an accident to happen when you're next to such a huge animal.
0: Yeah, of course. Whatever right? is always unexpected. Absolutely. And since the beginning of Holocene, we have seen that the natural world is interconnected. That's what gave our whole planet stability. So, uh, as, as a species in, in Asia, for example, what do you think is the importance of elephants put in the ecosystem and the entire world?
1: Well, first, it's important to note that elephants are keystone species. So, if you take them out of their environment, the environment is likely to change in a great way and potentially collapse. So, elephants pave trails and migration routes for other species. They are a huge part of seed dispersal in the jungles um, because, you know, they're eating plants, they're pooping them out, they're spreading seeds all over the jungle, which keeps it lush and healthy uh, for all the other animals. So, if you take elephants out of their habitat, it's likely that we'd see a huge ecosystem collapse and the levels of prey, predator, you know, plant species, all that would be skewed in a great way if if elephants weren't part of the ecosystem. So that's a huge concern, especially, you know, even for public health. You look at the, the habitat destruction that's been occurring in many parts of Asia and how that's contributed to disease spread even among humans. I mean, look at something like COVID when we are taking these animals out of their ecosystems and destroying the habitat, we're, we're making a huge impact on health of the ecosystem, wildlife, and humans alike. Um, so,
0: in I completely agree because it says that COVID-19 came because oh. of our own interactions with in the natural world. But once again, the main question that happens is, and most of us have forgot our connection with nature since we are living in cities. Yeah. So how do we think as human beings, are we dependent on elephants?
1: Well, I think something that people need to remember is, we are dependent on these natural spaces. We're dependent on our national parks thriving. We're dependent on rainforests being healthy. Because even if we are not, the people that are going in and you know harvesting crops and you know benefiting directly from the resources that are being grown in these areas we're all indirectly benefiting Um, i mean even you know you look at big cities people are not as in touch with nature but that's where our oxygen supply is coming from that's where so many plants are being grown and when one element gets thrown off, we all get thrown off. And humans need to remember that we are part of a greater ecosystem. We are also animals on this planet. And we are very, we rely heavily on these other species. And um, a big part of my uh, master's program actually was looking at One Health, which is the concept that ecosystem and environmental health Wildlife health and human health are all interconnected, which I think if more people thought about how interconnected we are with our earth and our wildlife, we would maybe take better care of those two things. Because if animals aren't healthy and if our environment isn't healthy, we aren't healthy. We don't have clean air. We don't have clean water. We don't have enough crops to feed people um, that, you know, it's, it's definitely a trickle down effect <laughs> if we start destroying habitats.
0: So, Daniel, you spoke about um, your experiences with elephants. So, if my, I may ask, what is your most favorite experience with elephants?
1: Um, wow. <laughs> Probably any time that I'm able to see them in a more natural setting. So, I remember last year when I was in Nepal, I was visiting Tiger Tops, which is actually a—it's a pretty famous hotel, and they own elephants and i went into the jungle with some of the mahouts and the guides and sat on the shore of the river and all the elephants were just sitting in the river bathing and socializing and eating and drinking and just doing whatever they wanted and even though these aren't wild elephants they're still captive and you know they can't really be released it's amazing to see that there are positive ways that we can manage elephants in captivity and give them a life that has good welfare and is close enough, you know, to being in the wild. We can only do the best we can with captive elephants because elephants are not a species that is easy to re-release. But it's amazing when you go and see facilities where the elephants are able to regain some of their autonomy.
0: Now, Daniel, of course, you spoke about different aspects of seeing elephants, working with them and they come, uh, come, a conversation in the, uh, the conservation of elephants. But what do you think over the past years of your career, ha- have you seen a change in understanding of, of the elephant's conservation? And have you seen that people are starting to understand how the system of natural world works or you think it, it hasn't yet been in that level yet?
1: I think that a lot of progress is being made especially I mean I think about the first time I went to Thailand in 2017 most or a lot of sanctuaries were still allowing people to bathe elephants um, because people didn't know that that was not an ideal activity that was promoting welfare in the elephants so you know really reputable facilities were still offering those kinds of interactions and you know, only a year later, all this research came out and so many facilities stopped offering that because they realized that this isn't, this isn't the best for their welfare. So I think that with more continued research in the field, we're learning so much more every single day and progress is being made because of that.
0: So you're saying that the public's interaction with elephants has changed since over the past few years. And it has been a good thing, I hope. And yeah, so, uh, what do you think, to in your point of view and what you have seen? What are the threats that elephants face today?
1: I would say it definitely depends on where in the world the elephant is. Of course the threats being faced in Africa are so different than the threats in Asia. I'll mostly speak on Asian elephants because that's most of the work that I do. Um, in Asia things like poaching are much less of an issue than they are in Africa which is great but they have a whole different set of issues to consider at the same time and i think that in a lot of ways habitat destruction is a huge threat to elephants if you look at thailand even if you wanted to release an elephant back into the wild you couldn't there's nowhere for them to go there's there's very few wild elephants and in regions where there used to be wild elephants, the the jungle's empty. You know, there's just, there's nothing left. And that's pushing more and more elephants to the brink. And it's, it's resulting in elephants dying and more elephants being in captivity than in the wild. Now in countries like India and Nepal, where there are more wild elephants, there is still a lot of habitat destruction and there is a lot of conflict with humans. That's a big issue, especially for individual elephants that are experiencing conflict and coming into villages, destroying homes. You know, people are throwing rocks at them. I mean, it's just not a peaceful coexistence with elephants because they are so dangerous and they are so difficult to share habitat with. But when it comes to the number one threat to Asian elephants, I think that would be us in the tourism industry because. The vast majority of Asian elephants are living in captivity, and of those, again, the vast majority are in unethical environments where they aren't getting the the enrichment that they need, the nutrition that they need, the space, the environment. You know, they're not in necessarily the healthiest of, of environments in captivity, and that's creating a lot of psychological issues among elephants, it's creating physical issues. I mean, elephants are be- having lameness and you know, different injuries that they wouldn't have in the wild because they're forced to walk on streets and you know, be in environments that just aren't natural. So the major threat to elephants is, is what we're demanding from them in the tourism industry.
0: um of course the tourism industry is a pretty bad um yeah a pretty bad disaster for many animals including dolphins and orcas, for example
1: absolutely
0: but, but you spoke about a point which caught me and you're saying that in india of course I, I, my teachers and most of my friends are from india and they too speak about elephants so you're saying that if in, in habitat uh, humans and elephants live together they cannot be coexistence is there a way that we can coexist with elephants
1: Absolutely. I think that there are ways. I don't know that we're necessarily implementing the correct ways yet. I think that we're learning. I mean, there's places in Sri Lanka that are putting up, um, there's a, a project putting up orange trees and like citrus bushes because they found that that helps deter the elephants from coming into villages, which is amazing. And, you know, in many parts of Africa, they're putting up, the beehive fences and that helps deter elephants in places like Nepal, something like that is less possible because you have sloth bears and the sloth bears would then come and eat the honey. So then you're introducing different problems into the mix. But I think that there are ways that we could peacefully coexist with them. Unfortunately, in many of the regions where I have been, it's an ongoing struggle and a lot of that comes down to resources. Conservation does not have nearly the amount of resources that it should, and because of that, when elephants, wild elephants, are coming towards towns, people are left completely in the dark. in In Nepal, where I spend most of my time on the border of Chitwan National Park, there's many areas of Nepal where there's no surveillance. People don't know when the wild elephants are approaching. Um, you know, they're eating through crops, and so people are electrocuting them. I um, mean, it's it, There's huge issues and of course, as somebody from a Western country that has a lot of resources, I'm thinking, well, there's so many things that can be implemented, but that would also mean that we have the funding to do that, that the government is approving doing that, that the locals are approving doing that, because it has to come from the local communities and because they're the ones who, at the end of the day, are living with these elephants and living with the methods um, that are being introduced for conservation purposes. So. I think in many regions of the world, they've they've definitely improved the relationship with humans and elephants um, when it comes to coexistence. But I think there's still a long way to go in many parts of the world.
0: Of course, and we other, I think, think of rewinding the planet if we are going to think of introducing species. So. Daniel, of course, we know that elephants in different cultures have got different symbols and different different people relating to different different things. Yeah. But what do you think is one huge misconception that you have heard about elephants?
1: I think, especially among people who are engaging in tourist activities uh, in Asia, you know, a lot of people from Western countries have this this idea in their head that elephants are are so nice and domesticated that they're like dogs almost you know they're like people come they want to ride the elephants they want to touch the elephants they want to cuddle with them and take photos and i think that in a lot of ways the tourism industry has created this identity for elephants this false identity that because that that fuels the tourism industry and it brings more money in so i understand where it's come from but in the same breath it's very harmful identity for elephants to have because that pushes them further into captivity and it, and you know a lot of people who visit areas where there are also wild elephants are opting instead to see captive elephants and that's never a, a positive thing in my opinion. If you're visiting somewhere in India where there are wild elephants, you should always want to go on safari and see wild elephants living in their natural habitat, not go to a temple where the elephants are chained or go and ride an elephant on a city street. And I think that the the misconception that elephants are very friendly and that they really love human interaction has been a huge contributor to the tourism industry.
0: Indeed that's of course one of the biggest contributions, even in the movies as you see people are riding elephants, going in tours of jungles, even in cartoons as well. So the awareness since small age is not there. And of course as we know with elephants both African and Asian elephants are very much like us. They mourn their dead, they do a lot. So talking about mourning data, do elephants really mourn their elephant and how and why is this concept in elephants especially?
1: Yeah, you know, it's such an interesting interesting question because they do. And it's something that has been well observed and documented, but a lot of researchers aren't really sure if, you know, the purpose, if there's a social or biological purpose to their mourning, but it seems that it is similar to humans to where they're they're paying respect to the dead and they will, you know, They'll mourn, and I've seen that in captive elephants. I've seen it in wild elephants, and I think it's it really speaks to their intelligence and their sentience.
0: I mean, indeed, elephants are among the most intelligent of all creatures.
1: Yeah, and
0: again, what I've heard and what I've um, researched on is that elephants hear through their legs over the long distances. They hear through their feet. So how is that? Is it true?
1: I would say that they do have a lot of communication aspects that can come through their feet. You know, obviously, elephants are famous for their big ears and they do have good hearing. But they're able to collect a lot of information through their feet, you know? like depending on what's happening with the weather. You know, they can hear the vibrations and the different seismic signals that are coming through the Earth. And that also goes for communication. Elephants have a huge, vast array of communication, like sounds that they make and and even like physical movements that they do to communicate. And a lot of their communication isn't audible to human ears. They make very low grumbles and these, you know, vibrations that can be felt by other elephants between 10 and 20 miles away. So they can definitely communicate with elephants that are further away through those vibrations than they can with audible communication. So um, that definitely plays a huge role in their communication, but so do their ears. So I would say, you know, they, they pick up a lot of cues from their environment through their body, if there's audible communication that we can hear, usually they're picking that up with their ears. If it's not something that we could probably hear, they're picking it up through through the ground.
0: I mean that's very wonderful indeed, I, I learned something new just today. Um, but. I've also been, let's say, as a as a hobby, we can say researching on animals for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. And over the past eight years, unfortunately, I I was born at a point where we I was in nature's decline and we are losing biodiversity very, very fast. In the UAE itself, there are floods which haven't happened for the past thirty years, heat waves around the world. And of course, we know about climate change and biodiversity loss, even viruses and such from museum specimens, and I myself collect specimens of animals, including dead ones. So I believe we're at a point where, whether we save the biodiversity of our planet or whether we go extinct with it. So then what do you think can individuals just me and yourself do to save elephants and all life on Earth?
1: I think for people who aren't directly working in conservation, there are lots of ways that you can passively contribute to conservation, and that is primarily through not actively working against conservation. Um, And that goes for, you know, the kinds of content that you're promoting on social media, the kinds of tourism activities that you're engaging in when you're traveling, um, the kind of information that you're taking in and disseminating to other people. You know, there's a lot of ways that that people can support conservation efforts without having to go out and do conservation work or, you know, even even contribute funds to conservation work. Anybody who is opting to go on a safari or go to a sanctuary instead of riding an elephant is contributing to elephant conservation and definitely to elephant welfare. Um, I would say beyond that, like you said we're we and everyone younger than us is kind of being born onto an earth that is requiring more and we need to step up to the plate even if we are not actively working in the conservation sector get involved as much as you can and learn as much as you can about it learn about your carbon footprint learn about you know how you can support Brands that are planting trees. I mean, there's so, so many ways nowadays that you can make conscious consumer decisions and realize that all those decisions, they do impact elephants and they impact us and they impact, you know, marine mammals and they impact birds. I mean, everything is so interconnected and the more positive decisions you make the more you're contributing to conservation of your favorite species, regardless of what that species is.
0: So then before we go to the last part of the of the podcast, um what do you I mean, I want to be a naturalist, but then I don't think until I will reach the age of graduation any natural world will be left. But at your childhood, was it your dream to become let's say an elephant expert or you had some other animal or what a job at my
1: For as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a vet. I always wanted to work with animals, and so I was like, I'm gonna be a veterinarian when I grow up. And I think that part of that was that when I was little, I thought that that was the only job you could have to work with animals. (laughs) And I think that a lot of kids are like that, where they they say they wanna be a vet because they just wanna work with animals. So up until really when I was in college, I still was pursuing getting my um, DVM and being a vet. And it wasn't until my first trip to Thailand that I saw an elephant sanctuary and understood the impacts of you know, what what we're doing to elephants and kind of learned a little bit more about conservation. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what I want to be doing. I want to be doing conservation work. I want to be making a global impact. And it just kind of happened that I went to an elephant sanctuary and I fell in love with them. and. I've stuck with them all the way.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's that's a wonderful sort of start to a career, and uh, I mean, it's neat, wonderful. So, the main important thing here is that naturalists, environmentalists, conservationists, everyone working with the natural world are the, are the true heroes of our planet. Because I have seen over the past maybe like one month or past few years. That people still lack their understanding of the natural world, lack that will to take action, and they still they still suspect environmentalists and what they do, and they do not believe that it's the end of end of times. I mean, people always thought, okay, it's going to be a world war, or it's going to be a virus, or it's going to be a meteorite that'll bring the end of days. But it's a simple climate change and biodiversity loss. So that one of the most important part of our podcast is asking guest speakers to give their very top message so what would be your message to the world and the audience who are listening to this
1: i always tell people that you need to question what we see as normal and that could sound very existential but it's true because you know now we think it's normal to be riding on wild animals that's not actually normal. We think that's normal because that's the messaging that we've received from the people who are profiting off of those industries. And we think it's normal that every summer is hotter than the last, or that you know huge hurricanes are hitting, huge floods, like you said earlier. It's becoming a new normal, but we need to remember that that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it normal. It doesn't mean that it is okay. <laughs> and we need to stay grounded and re- and grounded in that in that memory of of this is not how it's supposed to be and we can make a change but the people who are seeing these shifts and changes as just a normal course of life are never going to be the people who are able to contribute because they're never going to think that there is a reason to make change so even if you hear something and your initial thought is like oh well that's always how it's been and we're all guilty of it you know our first thought in our head, sit in question and do your research and and understand why we feel that way and then help to educate other people and help them expand their mind past what is seen as normal in our abnormal world. <laughs>
0: I mean, that's indeed a wonderful message. And with this, we end this podcast before you all go, it's that you have to all remember that we have reached a point that we determine nature's survival. It's whether we keep nature alive or we end it. Yeah. And the truth is not plants, not animals, none of them can take action. So you have to ask yourself the question, are you human beings? And there's a very critical question. You cannot say yes, because it's only human beings that can save the planet. So if you are a human being, you must start acting now. Let's save the planet only ourselves and let's rewild the world. Thank you, Daniel, for joining me today. It was wonderful speaking to you and I wish you a very great day ahead.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun. Thanks. I mean, I've always been interested in nature. Kind of Mother Nature's perfect animal. Seeing gnarled crocodiles and being kind of terrified.
0: Welcome to the Nature Talks Podcast.